Mac Power Users, Episode 708, The Obsidian Field Guide. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined the man of the day, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. Hey. Thank you, man. That's I don't get to be the man of the day very often. Thank you. Yeah. I'll take that. You're the man of the week. You got a new field guide that's always exciting. And uh, we're going to get into to all that today. I'm very excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. This one has been a long time coming. But, uh, but before we get into that, we got some housekeeping. We do. Uh, we are now into September. And September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And if you've listened to this show or other shows here on Relay FM, you know that we partner with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. In fact, this is the fifth year in a row that the Relay FM community is coming together to support St. Jude. Around the world, an estimated 400,000 children are diagnosed with cancer each year. And in 2009, my oldest was one of those 400,000. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor at six months of age. And he underwent treatment at St. Jude. He did... uh, multiple surgeries, chemotherapy, the whole thing. And he's getting ready to turn uh, 15 years old later this fall, which is which is a miracle. And that miracle is because of the work of St. Jude. It's a tremendous undertaking because in addition to being a world-class cancer research institution and children's hospital, they provide that treatment and housing and travel and food without billing patient families. So when we were uh, active treatment St. Jude family, I never got a bill for those 18 rounds of chemotherapy. I never saw a bill for his untold number of MRIs and multiple operations. And it's all paid for because of the generosity of donors everywhere. And I, I can tell you firsthand, when you're in that situation, the last thing you want to think about is the finances of it. And St. Jude just takes that concern away so you can focus on your child and their survival. It's really, it's amazing. I mean, it's such an easy pitch, right? You give them money and they take care of kids with cancer. It's hard to argue with. <laughs> it really like, what, is. What could you spend your money on that's better than that, right? Yeah. Uh, we look, I'm getting ready to buy an iPhone, right? Like, I mean, it's all, it's all coming. And, uh, and so each September we take time to talk about this. Uh, if you go to stjude.org slash relay, it's the first link in the show notes this week. Uh, there's a bunch of things you can do to get involved. Of course, we welcome a direct donation, but you can also set up your own fundraising campaign. So if you're part of a civic group or at your school or church or in your neighborhood, you can have uh, your own campaign sort of underneath ours and you can earn cool uh, incentives that way. And you can also... Uh, do donor advised funding if uh, you've got uh, those sorts of means. And you can, through this page, set up a match with your employer. A lot of companies, and not just big tech companies, but a lot of companies offer donation matching. And chances are St. Jude is on their list. And so you can check that out there as well. Again, that's stjude.org slash relay. Uh, we've raised $2.2 million over the last four years. So we are well on our way to 2.5 million, which is just an, an incredible amount of money. And the Relay FM community floors me absolutely every year with their response to this. So uh, I'd love for you to go check it out. 
Yeah, a couple things on this. First, I remember when you and I were uh, recording episode 500 of MPU uh, in Illinois, and you told me that you were meeting with St. Jude and you were going to do this crazy thing, and they didn't even really understand what it was because we're a podcast network. And now it's $2.2 million later. So congratulations. For the listeners, I will tell you, as Stephen's friend, you would not believe how much time he spends putting this together every year. Um, help us out. Support. Give a little money. Um, this year, I'll tell you my plans. Uh, I'm not buying a new Apple Watch this year, but I'm going to donate the value of one Apple Watch Ultra. But uh, Daisy and I plan for this. You know, Every year, we, we save money monthly for charity, and this is one of the big ones for us. But uh, this is a special year because Daisy got a full-time job at Disney, guys. So not only do I no longer have to pay the, the value of a MacBook Pro every month for health insurance, which is <laughs> nice, um, but Disney, I believe, has St. Jude matching. We're getting – the reason I haven't made my donation yet is we're trying to get that down because I, I want to double that, and I think I can because of uh, employer matching. So – yeah, if you've got a job where they do that, you know, make it work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. There's so many ways to get involved, and there's there's another one that that I'm going to be doing probably the week this episode comes out, where you can set up a matching gift, where you donate and you're matching other people's giving. Uh, lots of cool ways to get involved. The URL you want though, Stjude.org/relay. Uh, more power users. That's the ad-free extended version of our show. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the case for and against a larger iMac. Many of you have written us about your dissatisfaction with the state of the iMac. And uh, Stephen wrote an article about it. We have thoughts. We're going to cover that today in more power users. Yeah, it's a super interesting topic because <laughs> it used to exist and now it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But the big news this week for me is after almost a year, really, of, of work, the Obsidian Field Guide lives. Uh, we have a link in the show notes. Yeah, there's two versions, the plus version and the standard version, 49 and 99. You get 10% off with code ObsidianMPU, and we've got links in the show notes, so you can just go straight to that if you want to check it out. But I'm very excited to uh, finally have this one out in the world, Stephen. Yeah, I know you mentioned a year. I know you've been working on it a long time. Uh, you know, we we do a lot of planning, uh, obviously, for these episodes, and we've been talking about this as it's gotten closer. And uh, right off the bat, I want to say congratulations. I know this one has been a a big undertaking, and I know Obsidian is kind of a moving target. I think we're going to talk some about that uh, as we as we yeah. go through this because it's under such active development that. <laughs> things I know some things changed or you know got updated as you were covering them for this but I've gone through the the field guide and the production value and the attention to detail as with all of your work is outstanding uh this one's really great gang and if you've looked at obsidian you know we're going to talk about it this this whole episode but if you've looked at obsidian and you want to know more about it or or maybe you're using it and want to take your usage to the next level uh this field guide is is fantastic yeah, I mean, the truck with this field guide, this was one of the hardest ones I've ever made because Obsidian is a very nebulous app, right? It On the base level, it's a folder full of markdown files. and But then it puts this layer on top where you can connect them and compare them and just do all sorts of interesting things with them. 
but that means it turns into a different app based on the user. And I've never really did a field guide on something that's so nebulous. It took me a long time to figure out how to teach this app. So that that's really where the hard work was. But once I kind of got it nailed down, I feel like the course came out pretty good. It's six hours of video, 78 videos for the base version. The plus version, we're doing a whole webinar series. We're going to have a bunch of power users. We're going to do additional topics and stuff. So that's probably going to be about another six hours of video. So uh, 49 for six hours, 99 for 12 hours, plus that 10% discount. And then the field guides have evolved for me in a lot of ways. Um, I want to just publicly thank JF, who's been my helper on this thing. He does a lot of the editing. And and so I've, I've got another pair of eyes kind of helping with the production value, which I think it has definitely improved with his help. And then um, like all the, everything is, uh, the transcripts are there on day one. I used AI. Maybe we can talk about that. Um, and then I also publish all the transcripts as PDFs and EPUBs. One of the nice things about this thing is Obsidian has a feature called a public vault where you can make an, a, a vault in Obsidian and publish it. Well, I made that the course supporting material. So when you get the course, you also get access to the public vault and it's got like little outlines for most of the videos. It's got all the sample stuff I was going through in the videos. So you can kind of copy and paste and pull stuff out of it if you want to try and use it on your own. But um, so it really was, it was, a, it was a tough one but I'm really happy with the way it came out. Good. Let's jump right in. And I think we need to to contextualize Obsidian uh, a little bit. It it is, like you said, it's kind of a nebulous app. It is in a sea of PKM apps, which are uh, personal personal knowledge management apps. These apps that, you know, sort of the old idea, or maybe an early version, this was Evernote, right? Like back in the day, it's like your sort of outboard brain. Like you put all the stuff in here and that gives you tools to manage that knowledge and surface that knowledge. But what makes Obsidian unique sort of among its competitors in your view? Well, I, I think you could even go further back than Evernote. I think the the real genesis of this are wikis, you know, the idea of hyperlinked documents. But that is like a creature into itself. But th- this new generation of these I would call them thinking apps has emerged where you can put data in them and connect it very easily and then see it visually. So you can actually think, you know, you know, an external brain is really a good way to think about it because you put the stuff in there and you connect it and suddenly you've got all these ideas. And the reason Obsidian landed with me, um, I, as soon as these apps started emerging, I was interested because I love the idea of using the computer to help me think better, help me write better and just make me a better person. And uh, don't roll your eyes. Cause I believe that. Um, but the, but the first app that I went down this journey on was Rome research and Rome was one of the early ones to, to do this in a way that made sense to me, but it's a web-based service, right? You go on the web and your data stored in their cloud. And I had all these concerns about putting my, my, my real personal thoughts into something that's owned by somebody else. Uh, at one point I wrote them and asked, are you guys ever going to end to end encrypt? And, you know, they never really were clear. And to this day, they really haven't. So I just felt like I like the tool, but I don't like the model uh, with Rome. And then Obsidian just kind of poked its head up and it, it's an app developed by just a few people. I think the team's a little bigger now, but it started with two people. 
And it, it kind of has the idea of Rome research, but rather than store your data in the cloud, um, it's, you store it on your Mac, you know, and it, it's an electron app. So it also works on windows and all the other platforms, but you locally store uh, text files, but then it puts these layers on top of it where you can connect them and do a lot of different cool stuff with them. But on the base level, all of the data you own is on your device. If the app goes up in the puff of smoke, you don't lose any of your data. It's entirely readable. It's markdown files. And that really appealed to me. And then as they built it out further, they built in their sync system and their sync system is ground up into end encrypted. So I have the password. They don't have the password. Nobody can go on their server and read my stuff. It's all encrypted before it leaves and I don't it doesn't unencrypt until it gets back to me. So it's a much more secure way to play with those things because if you want a thinking app then that means you're putting your thoughts into it, right? And you want to be really secure with that. So so that's the initial like pull for Obsidian to me. But and we did a show on Obsidian a couple of years ago, but it's evolved a lot since then. But fundamentally it hasn't changed. So they've got a, a secure method of sync into an encrypted. They've got a, a, a an answer to the data control problem. You own the data. It's on your device. And then they go another layer. And the way they built the, the application is a plug-in architecture, architecture application. So anytime they want to add a new feature, they add a plug-in. And they did that internally. Like when you open Obsidian and you go into the settings there is a setting called core plugins. There's a whole section of the field guide that goes through every single one of them and teaches you how to use them, but they're plugins made by the developers. But at some point in the journey, they said, well, why do we have to be the only ones that make plugins? So they opened up their API where third parties can make what they call community plugins. And now there's, I don't know, I think there's something like 10,000 of them or, you know, I, I should look it up before I just quote a number out of the air, but there are a lot of plugins and some of them are very niche and they, you know, like they just handle one little problem with the way text is displayed. And some of them are like separate apps built on top of obsidian. And there's this big community of people building these plugins and they're, they're vetted by the obsidian team. Um, they're vetted by the community. So you can go and see like, I only want plugins that have been downloaded 200,000 times have been tested by a lot of people, et cetera. But then you, so you can add features to the application based on whatever you're using it for. So, and that's why this field guide was hard because this app kind of transforms itself into what you need. And everybody that picks it up is going to go a different direction with it. But I, there's part of me that just loves that, that flexibility. In a way, it is such a refreshing take, right? So many of the complaints about some of these other tools, including the aforementioned Evernote, is, well, my data is like wrapped in this weird layer. And if I want to do different things with it or I need to export it later, that's difficult. And I absolutely love that Obsidian, at the end of the day, is a pile of text documents. And all this scaffolding is built above it, but it's all built above that layer, and yeah. and I think the your point about the community plugins and the community around Obsidian is really important here. This app, as good as it is, like that responsibility is shared between the developers and their community. And there's so many people who are so very passionate about this this application that it can do 
all sorts of things that it doesn't do out of the box. But if it's something that you want it to do, you can make that happen. Extremely customizable, extremely powerful. And that also kind of puts it in in a class to itself to a degree. Uh, I think that if you're looking at, you know, these other apps or research and notion and other sort of in this category, the community is one aspect that I think really sets Obsidian apart. Yeah, it's very dedicated. And just to clarify, I just like it's 1100 plugins, not 10,000. I know it was some function of a thousand, but as I said at 10, I think I think that's probably not right. But that it's still 1100 plugins, that's a lot of plugins, you know, and and that was one of the challenges too. Which ones do I cover in the field guide? Which ones do I do I not cover? But the um, but it it really is fascinating, and it's got this super aggressive development cycle. So they're always updating it, bringing new stuff into it. Uh, but underlying it, the developers have this great respect for that markdown file. A, a good example is shortly before we published it, they added a new feature called properties. Right now, it's only on the beta versions, but it'll be in the publicly shipping version shortly. So I went ahead and included it in the field guide. And the um, the properties are like a, a metadata method. So you can you can have your notes and say, well, this is from the category podcasting, or this is from the category research or whatever. And you can make up all the categories you want, and it looks really pretty. It looks like a, a fully developed user interface app feature, right? But the markdown file just has plain text for the categories it's a uh, it's a it's the category and uh, underneath it or next to it it has the the property and it's like you can open this up in 100 years and completely understand what that meant so they added this feature but then they figured out a way to do it so the markdown the integrity of the markdown file is always preserved just just clever smart people doing something on the local basis which which I really love I guess we should talk before we get into the nuts and bolts uh, stuff I don't like about Obsidian. I mean, um, if people are thinking about it as they listen, there's there's a couple things about it that I think they could do better at. There's really three things, I guess. First is complexity, right? By its nature, it's complex. So if you want an app you're just going to open and start using it and not have any problems or have to think about, this probably isn't it. Because to get the most out of this, you really need to like kind of learn it, which is why I made a field guide. Second downer is it's Electron, right? It's not a native Mac app, and that shows up in weird little ways. You know, native Mac apps are always best on the Mac, just like native apps are best on the iPhone, the iPad. Although I will say that's an asterisk because I feel like they do a very good job on their Electron app. So it feels like you hit command comma settings open up. A, A lot of the stuff you do on the Mac just works, and I would not use that as a reason not to use this app. And then the third one is, I feel like the iPhone and the iPad experience aren't as good as they could be. Uh, it just doesn't really feel like an iPhone and iPad app. They, they're fully functional. I did videos on them for the course. But I really think uh, Obsidian goes down best on a Mac. I guess Federico would disagree with me. Isn't, isn't he like fully in on Obsidian on his iPad? I mean, there's part of me that like never knows what Federico is doing, but... I yeah. do believe I, I do believe that Obsidian is the the sort of the core of his setup, especially for his iOS reviews, which I guess we'll be talking about here in a couple of weeks when iOS 17 launches. And it makes sense because it, it works fine on the iPad, but it just doesn't feel like a native app. But I think in Federico's case, he got a developer to help him make his own plugins. 
So he customized the app in the ultimate way. He added his own features to it. And that's the kind of thing you can do with this app. It's, it's, I just love this app. I, you know, it, it was, um, for me, cause all apps start to feel the same after a while, but this one is like, Whoa, wait. And then and we're going to talk later about how I use it and how people are using it, but it's really fun as a technology enthusiast to see a wave arrive of something new. And I feel like this one is right at the front of that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU and solve your internet security problems today. 1Password is the application both Stephen and I to protect our internet security for ourselves along with our families. With 1Password, you can get strong and unique passwords for every logon on the internet. That way you avoid using the same password repeatedly, which is exactly what the bad guys are counting on to get your password at one site and break into your bank at the other site. 1Password is at the front of the pack with respect to internet security, and that shouldn't surprise you because it's a whole company of people dedicated to protecting your privacy. They've got versions for all the Apple platforms plus more. They've got plans for individuals, families, and businesses, so no matter where you're coming from, 1Password has a solution for you. One of the things I did recently was I put my 1Password password in my wife's 1Password vault. We recently had a death in the family. It got me thinking that if something happens to me, will my wife be able to get into all the places she needs to? Well, now I've taken her through my 1Password vault so she knows exactly how to do that. So an additional benefit for me is that I can know that she will have everything she needs if something happens to me in a secure way. There really is nothing like 1Password. If you want to check it out, head over to onepasswordcom MPU. They'll give you 20% off your plan because you're a Mac Power Users listener. And you can join all the other Mac Power Users that are also using 1Password to protect their internet security. That URL one last time is onepasswordcom MPU. Go check it out today. So let's start at the beginning about setting up Obsidian. It uses language like vaults and there's a couple different syncing uh, solutions. Kind of walk us through what you've got to do to get this up and running. Yeah, the uh, so Obsidian is a, um, the data model, as I explained, is pretty simple. It's a folder full of markdown, but with the internal term they use is a vault. So when you set it up, you either create a new vault or you point it at an existing vault. But what you're really doing is you're pointing it at a folder. And if you have subfolders in that folder, they show up in Obsidian as folders in Obsidian. So you can take an existing corpus of data. Like when I first started using it, I had a folder full of markdown files because I was already doing kind of my own human manual version of Obsidian for years. It you know, went back to the early text editors on the iPhone. So all I did is I said, here's a new vault, open this thing right here and give it the name Sparky OS. And suddenly all my notes were just there for me. Um, but they do need to be markdown files. They, it doesn't recognize text files. It recognizes markdown files. So it's .md, not .txt. But So you either create a vault or you hook it up to an existing vault. But that's the starting point of it. And uh, the data is not going to be sucked in and turned into some proprietary package or you know it's not going to be encoded into some weird system it, obsidian is always just looking 
at those markdown files as the data source. And then everything it's doing is on top of that and managed by the application, but it doesn't change the files themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like we said earlier, it is a bunch of text documents in a folder. And I I do think that I'm going to see what you see what you think about this. But a criticism I have of Obsidian is I think the vault language is a little confusing. And yeah, since it's one of the first things you hit, then it, uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's kind of some unnecessary friction at the beginning. Yeah, it adds unnecessary formality to that which is informal. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a folder. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But vault sounds cool. Yeah, but they got invested in it, and that's what it is now. Yeah, and, and one of the nice thing about the vaults with Obsidian is you can you can have different vaults. Like um, when I was practicing law, I had a separate vault for all the legal research and stuff I was doing with Obsidian as a lawyer. And when I started this course, I built a separate vault, which eventually became the publicly shared Obsidian Field Guide vault, and um, it's very easy to switch between them. So you can have one big vault with everything in it, or if you find you're using it for different things, you may want to have separate vaults. I mean, a lot of people have personal and work vaults and things like that. And uh, it's very easy to do. And uh, the the actual use of it is very simple, but I agree with you. The term vault is a little off-putting. Once you have a vault or a folder full of Markdown files, at one point in the... uh, the field guide I joke that that should be the drinking game. Cause I kept going back to saying that and I couldn't help myself because that's what it is. Uh, but you want to sync it, right? A lot of people are like, well, I just want to sync this stuff. Well, there's a lot of ways you can do that. There's a whole video on it in the course, but one of the ways you can do it, if you don't want to pay them uh, to use their sync service is you can just put it in iCloud or Dropbox or whatever, and then install obsidian on different, devices and point them at the same Dropbox folder. And then you've, you're syncing data. Um, and I did that as a test and didn't have any problems. I mean, these cloud services are fast enough that it, it's, it's good. The only problem is if you put an iCloud and you don't have it downloading files, you know, how sometimes iCloud thinks it's clever. Yeah. <laughs> that, that causes a problem. Yeah. Uh, Dropbox can do the same thing, but Dropbox is more manual. You turn it on. So you, you want to have the data always updating on your computer, but uh, that is absolutely a way to do it. Now, if you want to do their sync, it's $8 a month. And that gets you uh, a sync on their system, end-to-end encrypted, and it gives you version history and priority email support and some other stuff. So I I think if you're going to do it, I think it's worth it just to pay for their sync. And when that when you do that, then you don't bother with Dropbox or iCloud. You actually put it on local storage. So on your iPad, you know how you have that local storage on your iPad you never think about? You put your Obsidian Vault there. Or on your Mac, you just put it in your uh, user file. And uh, the beauty of that really for me comes in later with automation because, because it's a folder full of text you can anything that can automate text, anything that can write text, anything that can edit or create new, you can you can change your vault with almost any automation tool. And when you put it on local storage, it makes it even easier. So I think I think that's another side benefit of, of having them sync it. You could do it on the cloud, I get it, but th- it just removes any possibility of 
of data corruption mm-hmm. when you're doing it locally and letting them sync for you. So it's eight bucks a month to use their sync engine. You can't just point it at Dropbox if you already have that up and running. Yeah. yeah. I know they have pricing for some other things as well. Um, like they've got early access and some other stuff. What's sort of your advice there for someone looking at this pricing page? Pricing is weird because the app is free. <laughs> you know, the personal use license is free. Free for, you know, they say on their website, free forever. So you get you get all the features. You don't have to like give them your details. They don't even know you exist. And you get access to all the plugins and all the stuff I was talking about. So you can run Obsidian free. And if you want to sync it over the cloud, this costs you nothing. Now, if you're going to use it for a commercial, a commercial use license of $50 a year. Again, I think very reasonable. The um, the add-ons you can get, there's two add-ons. The sync, which I talked about, $8 a month. That's billed annually. And then they have publish, which is $8 a month as well build annually. So publish, I have a both publish and sync account because I'm paying for the publish so I can publish that one related to the field guide. And you can get extras of those. Like I'll have to see how this goes. Maybe in future field guides, I'll make an obsidian vault for them too. And yeah. people can get access to them. So, you know, we'll just have to see, but it, it's eight, I think it's eight bucks each if you add more, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe that pricing goes down. Well, I don't know. I have to look into it. Yeah. It looks like it's like it's eight each for sync and publish. Um, yeah. And I do like that you can do those independently. Like if you don't need one or the other, then you're not paying for something you're not necessarily using. I think that's nice. Yeah. And then the other thing they do is, um, they have what they call catalyst support and that's $25 one time I paid it like, I don't know, three years ago. And whenever they first announced it, I paid it. Cause I felt like I don't want this app to go away, you know? And, but when you, when you give that, you, you get access to the early betas. So you get like a feed of the application updates before the rest of the world, which is great. So you can always kind of keep on top of what's coming down the road. And this app iterates so fast that, that it is, um, it's actually kind of nice. And if you get invested in it, and you're using it personally, you're not paying for it, give them $25, you know, for no other reason to keep it going. Mm -hmm. That said, I don't really feel a lot of fear for Obsidian. Like, you know, sometimes you get into these apps and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to use that app. It doesn't seem like they really have a a business model that works. The Obsidian team is growing. They've kept it private. They're they're like doing the right things with the application. And I feel like... um, this is not an app I have to worry about like shutting its doors in a few weeks. I think they're going to be around a while. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you just scan the, we're going to talk about plugins, but if you scan the, the number of downloads, some of those plugins have like, they got a bunch of people out there using this thing. Yeah. It's, it's extremely popular. So there's different ways, but once you set up a vault, there's different ways to do it. And that, that's the the real challenge of making a field guide or even doing a podcast about this application is that different people use it differently, right? Um, a lot of people that get into Obsidian like this idea of really like no structure because the thing I haven't talked about yet, which is one of the real magical tricks of Obsidian is linking. You can link anything in Obsidian and it's very simple. It's two square brackets on either side. So like if I write Stephen Hackett and put two square brackets around it, it will link to a separate page that I have for Stephen Hackett. 
In fact, let me just talk about that for a minute. Like one of the uses for Obsidian is as a like customer management system. So I set up a page, Stephen Hackett's a customer. I, I have a page called Stephen Hackett. And on that page, I have a template that gives me all the things, phonetic spelling, the name of his dog, his favorite color, you know, anything I need to connect with this customer, right? And it's there. And anytime I reference Stephen Hackett, I can just put the two brackets around his name and then I have a link back to Stephen Hackett. But they're backlinks too. So when it goes to the Stephen Hackett page, it can say, here's all the pages where you mentioned Stephen Hackett. And it's smart enough not only to look for the ones with brackets, but the ones that don't have brackets. And they'll say, hey, you want me to put brackets around all of the ones? So we have these links active everywhere. So I can go through daily logs. I can go through product development. Anything that mentions Stephen Hackett is mentioned there, but it also always links back to that source document that has the details of Stephen Hackett. And suddenly it's like an external brain, right? It, it gives you that ability. So this linking concept is what makes it really great. And this is when people first get into it. So you get into the linking, you're like, well, guess what? I don't need folders. I'm going to be, you remember Steve Jobs didn't want to have folders. Yeah. And he wanted to like make everything level. I'm going to become the modern Steve Jobs and I'm just going to have this big pile of markdown files and I'm going to use internal linking for everything. And there are people doing that very successfully. Then there's people that are like old school, like I want nested folders for everything. I'm going to have subfolders to my subfolders to my subfolders. And you know what? Obsidian will do that too. I can tell you where I land is I have um, shallow uh, a, a, a shallow folder structure with a lot of files in them. So I have a little bit of folders, but I have a lot of files and I use linking. So I kind of try to Goldilocks it a bit. But but the 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 thing I'm the point I'm trying to make is none of these are wrong, right? No matter how you want to use it, you can use it that way. So once you start getting your head around it, then it's a question of finding, well, this is what I like, you know, and there's no judgment, right? The app doesn't care. It will do the thing. It will link it. It will find it. It will backlink whether you have 10,000 folders or two. So just figure out how that structure works for you. But how do you know that when you're coming into something for the first time and you're not really sure? Well, you got to build it up slowly. That's the trick. Yeah, I think that's the best advice there. I mean, thinking about other systems I've used in the past, or even like a even like a task manager, right? You're not quite sure, you know, what's going to be a list, what's going to be a project, how am I going to organize these things? And yeah, uh, yeah, I think starting slow and just kind of feeling it out as you go is is the way to go. But knowing that just because you start sort of on one end of that spectrum, like say you start like you know everything's going to be super flat, you know, no folders, you you're not married to that forever because at the end of the day, this is files and folders and it is really easy to add folders to your vault and move things around between them. You're not, you're not stuck with a structure on day one. I think that's a real strength of this app. Yeah. And you can kind of build it out as it makes sense to you. And you know, these links aren't the only ways you can pull things together because it supports tagging they have a new feature in it called properties where you can, in essence, create an unlimited type of metadata that you can go as deep as you want with. I mean, you, in terms of structuring your data, the world is your oyster. But the thing that just blows me away to this day, it blows me away is that I add all this structure. I add all this weight on top of it to figure out a way to have it make sense for me. But underneath 
they're just markdown files. Like the structure does not burden the markdown. The markdown is still, you know, more or less pure. Like you have the double brackets, which are not traditional markdown, but it's very, very light intrusion to your files. And uh, I just love that. I mean, I love that the open nature of that. It's a, it's a very um, addictive app once you start kind of getting your head around it. You know, some of the ways people are using it, I think, you know, building the field guide and talking to kind of the initial customers, one of the things I did was I released it early in the Max Barkey lab. So the lab subscribers had the opportunity to get into it early. So I've had a lot of feedback on this one, which has been really great. And I've heard from a lot of researchers, like people doing PhD work and people doing, um, you know, research type stuff where they want to have a way to link it all together and keep it. Um, then I've heard from a lot of people doing PKM type work, Mm -hmm. you know, personal knowledge management is like, you just dump your life into it. The example I keep using is the veterinarian. Cause I, I did that. I made a page for the dog and I've got like all the medications the dog takes when it gets sick and the groomer's name and phone number and all the stuff. I just got like one page where I've got it all. And if I need to like see something, it's there for me. And that's PKM. That's a very basic version of it, but you can kind of tie your life together with this type of stuff. And then client work is another one. I found it super useful as a lawyer to like tie together client work when you've got that end-to-end encrypted database, or if it's even more secret, you just don't sync it. Um, But having a way to tie notes together between research, client notes, all that stuff, and have a quick way to put it together, that's that's super powerful. That's one thing I'm looking forward to uh, getting into your the videos you're going to have with experts, right? People who are using this in the field, people who have seen how other people use it. Because when you look at a tool like Obsidian, in a way it's so open-ended, you could you could do literally anything in it, just about, right? Especially once you get into the plugins, which we're going to talk about in a little while. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think it's useful for people to see some examples, see how people are using it sort of in fields that maybe are related to theirs or seeing somebody use it as a research tool and and applying things from someone else's setup to their own. And so I'm glad that you've included those sorts of things in, in your work here. Yeah. And that's part of the plus edition. That's going to be a webinar series and I'm already booking those. So we're not going to start those probably till mid September uh, with the iPhone announcement. I feel like we need to kind of, we need to do it when people have time, but the, uh, but I've got a bunch of people I'm talking to already and, and I'm going to try and get, like good examples in each one of people who are really diving deep and Mm -hmm. who are willing to share their vault. And I think this is going to be really helpful for people as they kind of get deeper into it. Yeah, I do too. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by Squarespace. The all in one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, or sell anything, products, services, and even content. Because with Squarespace, you have everything you need all in one place. You can make the most of Fluid Engine, Squarespace's next-generation website design system, to unlock your creativity more easily than ever before. Start with a best-in-class website template and customize every design detail with a reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine. It's built in and it's ready to go on any new Squarespace site. You'll be confident you can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns. Encourage visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. 
You start with an email template and customize it with your brand ingredients like colors and logos. Plus, the built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. Those analytics are also present on the website, so you can see where visitors and sales are coming from, so you can improve your website and build your strategy around top keywords or your most popular products and content. I love building on Squarespace. This new Fluid Engine is really cool. It takes no time at all to get something that looks really beautiful. And one of my favorite things is the ability to save a section of content. So maybe you need the same section repeated on a couple different pages, or you do a layout you really like. You can save it and then deploy that across multiple pages. Go to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU for 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU when you decide to sign up to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. One of the things I realize on this journey is that there truly is what I would call an obsidian journey. In fact, I made a video about it in the course. And what I mean by that is you're first kind of tentative. You're like, what? what? This is a weird app. It's Electron and it's folder full of Markdown, whatever, you know. And then you start to like get your head around how powerful it is between the plugins and the linking and everything. And then at some point, it, you know, most power users, their minds explode and they're like, this app can do everything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's in and encrypted, so you feel safe. You could journal in it. You could build a task system in it. You could, like, people think of, their, that's why it's so fun to see what people are doing with it because people are doing everything with this app. And at some point, it becomes the app that you run your entire life out of because you've got so many hooks into it. But my general impression is talking to a lot of people who use this app is that there is like a little bit of a bounce back. It's like you come into it tentatively, then you jump in with both feet, and then usually you pull back a bit. And I call that the obsidian journey, right? (laughs) You go overboard, and then you come back a little bit. Like for me, a good example is task management. There's a task plugin for obsidian that is crazy powerful. It like does like almost everything that the most powerful task managers do. It's got defer dates. It's got due dates. It's got reminders. It's got like... You can, and and then you can use other apps uh, or plugins with it to have it give you custom views. And uh, there are people who run very complex task management systems out of it. And I was doing that. I did it for several months as I was working on the course to kind of like immerse myself in it. And, and it was working. But then at the end of the day, I was like, you know, this isn't quite as good as my task manager because, you know, the, the iPhone app isn't as quick. And it, you know, there was just little things that were just bugging me. And I just decided, oh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it my task manager. So I went and then I kind of pulled back a little bit. I think a lot of people do that. And people ask me, well, what is your big use for Obsidian? And to me, I think of it as a thinking tool. So my use is actually not what I would call research PKM or client work. My use is, is what I call a personal operating system. Yeah, the, the Sparky OS. Exactly. I needed to document it. <laughs> I needed to code my system. So, so what Obsidian really, as, as I saw the power of the linking and thing, I, I realized that like thoughts and ideas I have, a lot of times my brain doesn't make the connections as fast as Obsidian does. Hmm. And that sounds weird, but, but let me, let me explain a little bit. Like 
Um, Sparky OS is, is a thing that I've been doing for a long time. And it, the pro the fundamental problem I faced was I knew I had a lot of opinions about stuff, you know, and by stuff, I mean, everything we talked about St. Jude earlier, giving like, what is, what, are, what is my thoughts and values around giving? You know, what do I really think about it? What, where am I willing to make sacrifices to make it work? And, you know, you know, and, and you think when you have it in your head, you kind of know where those lines are, but you actually don't because you've never forced yourself to write it down. So I started writing this stuff down and, and uh, I shared a bit of it in the field guide, my operating system vault. And like, I'm looking at it right now. I've got an essay on the hustle. I've got one here on rituals. I got one on love. I've got one on imposter syndrome. I, it just, every time something comes to me, I, I figure out, well, what do I really think about this? And why do I think that? And it's a practice I do often. I love working on this because it helps me get to know myself better and it helps me refine my thoughts on stuff. So I'm not wishy-washy and obsidian is the perfect place to do this because you can tie them together. How does anti-fragility connect to constraints? You know, you know, how do my thoughts about blame connect to, you know, emotions or whatever. And so I've got all these notes in here that I've worked on and I reference them. I have links, I have support. When I read a book, uh, um, Readwise, the service I'm always bragging about, well, they've got a plugin, a community plugin with Obsidian where it dumps all of my highlights into Obsidian on a custom note made for that book. But then that book may relate to anti-fragility and I'll link the notes from the book to the anti-fragility page. And then that may lead me down on a completely different path. Um, uh, One of the examples is I always knew that there was like a strong relationship between stoicism and Buddhism Mm -hmm. and people listening who are into philosophy already knew this. And it, you know, it took me a while to put it together, but because they're both kind of philosophies about being in the moment and so I started documenting all my research on and thoughts on these things and starting letting Obsidian connect them. And I didn't mention yet that they have this view called a graph view where it shows connections between notes. And you start to kind of see stuff together and that prods your brain a little bit. So, so my favorite use of Obsidian is Sparky OS. It's documenting this stuff. And it's, it, it's not a journal exactly, but it, it is a very private thing to me. And that's what Obsidian does. It really handles that. Yeah, thinking about the uh, the attaching of different thoughts and concepts, right? So, say that you were doing all this in pen and paper, or maybe even in a more traditional journaling app like Day One. Those are more linear tools, right? You start at the beginning of the yeah. notebook, you work to the end of the notebook. Uh, a journal is basically chronologically ordered. But with this, you're sort of free of those bounds, right? And you can begin to link things together in basically in any dimension you want. You're not set on on time or the order in which you thought of something or alphabetical order or anything like that because of its power to take a piece of information and link it to another. You can build over time this web of ideas and thoughts that really only an application like this can do. I mean, in the past, you yeah. would have 
a bajillion sticky notes on the wall with a bunch of red string, right? That's that's yeah, not the way I to look go. crazy. This yeah. allows me to hide the crazy. <laughs> I, I, sh- I just shared a screenshot with you of a piece of it and uh, we'll put it in the show notes. I, there's nothing in here too. It's an interstitial journaling page, but just if you look at the side, you can see all of the, a lot of the, you know, stuff I am tracking in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it just, I don't know, man, this really helped me kind of live a richer life. Yeah. That sounds really, um, and that sounds really arrogant, but it, I, I feel like you don't have to buy my field guide or use obsidian or anything, but, but th- the insight you get from writing down your feelings about things is remarkable. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And I think it's a, it's a practice that is sometimes uncomfortable at first, but I think that yeah. that is extremely valuable. And they evolve. That's the beauty of it. I've been doing this long enough. I can go back to a note and say, you know, my thoughts about this have really changed. Mm-hmm. And like you get, maybe you find that you have a more generous heart or something. And you look at something you wrote about things, you know, five years ago. And you're like, you know, that's not the way I think anymore. I'm the, the OS has evolved, you know, and then you write it down. But then when you write it down, then you kind of own it a bit. But it's just there's a, a tremendous chasm between thinking you have your ideas sorted about something and writing them down. Because when you write them down, you just find those the sharp corners and the fuzzy edges and all the stuff that you actually haven't thought through. And then it forces you to do that. So that that's how I use Obsidian. It's, it's a thinking tool. And I put problems into it. I have a kind of the operating system to compare it to. It gives me a kind of a decision matrix when I'm dealing with an ethical question or a, a difficult problem about what should be important. And it gives me a, a structure to make those kinds of decisions on. And uh, that's that's what I love about it. So I, I don't think everybody who's going to get Obsidian is going to do that. I, I think I'm probably a, a weirdo on the list. But <laughs> man, is it good for that problem. One thing I've, I've noticed as you've been talking about this is you're talking about you know, your, your personal use of it. Obsidian doesn't necessarily stack up super well when it comes to working with others, at least at this point, right? You're too kind. It just doesn't have a collaboration <laughs> story. I mean, uh, in the field guide, I have a collaboration section and in it, I have a, um, one video that says Obsidian isn't very good at collaboration, but when they add it, this is going to, this section is going to be a lot more than one video. You know, they have a public, that's another thing I like about Obsidian. They have a roadmap and it's public. When they first did it, it was really cute. It was a Trello page, right? <laughs> but now they've got more official. They have a page on their website and uh, there is an entry under plan called Sync Collaboration Improvements Tracking Changes Across the Vault. I feel like that's secret code. So, I, I don't know. I haven't talked to the developers, but I have a feeling that my Obsidian Field Guide is going to get a substantial update in the future uh, when they do collaboration. And I can tell you that if we got true collaboration in Obsidian, uh, JF and I would probably be running the Max Sparky Publishing Empire through a collaborated uh, Obsidian Vault because I just, you know, why not? Yeah. One thing I really like about this roadmap, it also shows the history of what they've been doing. I think that goes back to our conversation a few minutes ago about how active this development team is. 
I mean, there are things here every one to two months for three years now. And yeah. some of it's big stuff, right? I mean, yeah, some of it's like, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, you know, some new theme stuff, but then uh, tabs in October 2022, right? Big thing, pop out windows, big thing. They've really done some amazing work. And so if you are on the fence about, well, I don't know about the, you know, being a small team, like let the roadmap page put you at ease. Yeah. I'm just looking at the, they have sync collaboration improvements on the roadmap, sync onboarding. I mean, I just feel like, I feel like it's coming. Sure sounds like it. But it's not there yet. So if you're, if you've got a team, you're like, I'm going to go on Obsidian. We're going to run the whole company on it. Don't do that. It's not ready yet. But I find it very good for personal use. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. What's a game where no one wins? It's the waiting game. And when it comes to hiring, don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, you can use their powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. According to Indeed data, U.S. Indeed's hiring platform really is great because it gets you one step closer to the hire immediately matching you with the qualified candidates. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. That makes it an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com MPU. And that offer is good for a limited time. So claim that $75 credit right now at Indeed.com MPU. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com MPU to support the show by saying you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. Terms and conditions do apply, but do you need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. One of the strengths of Obsidian, of course, is its uh, amazing collection of plugins. And there are some that are from the team behind Obsidian. There are some that are community plugins. And in the field guide, you go through uh, several of them in depth. Some of those videos are, are, are really in depth about what you can do with these. Can you explain a little bit about the the plugin architecture and and then maybe some some examples that that you recommend people check out? Yeah, um, you know it's funny because I've been on the road with Obsidian since early days, and many of the plugins that were popular once they you know they, they implemented the the community plugin API pretty early, but it's fun to see how many of the original plugins have now joined the family and their core plugins, like they have looked mm-hmm. at the ones that are super popular and I don't want to use the term Sherlock because it has a negative connotation, but they basically turn them into features in the application. So you get it out of the box. And I think that's great, but there's also some that are just like so advanced and they're, they're so extra that I think they're always going to exist separately. 
Uh, I picked 10 for the field guide of the 1100. Uh, <laughs> and you're right. The, those videos are super long. And because I'm teaching you basically another application. Right. Uh, because some of these are quite complicated. Uh, some of my favorites. I, I'm going to start with the the tasks one because I already mentioned it and I just kind of want to get past that. But it's got 629,000 downloads as we record this. And what I said earlier is true. Once you learn it, and I teach it in the course, I go in depth on this one, you could build your own task system that is fully functional and just as good as any app. I mean, it's got more features than Reminders does. You know, it doesn't have the same features as Reminders. It doesn't have like the Siri integration, stuff like that. But it is it is quite powerful. So that that's a good one that I covered. Another one that I went in depth in the course on is data view. And if anybody listening is already an obsidian nerd, they, they know what I'm talking about. Data view is an analytic package for obsidian where it can look at all your files and all the metadata about them. And it can do things as an example, let's say you've got a bunch of project files. In fact, this is the example I use in the course. So you're using Obsidian to manage your projects and you add a property to all your projects called status. Like, is it active? Is it done? Is it planning? Is it researching? Whatever. You know, you've got the, this uh, property of status and you decide what it is with data view. You can say, give me a list of all my projects that are active and give me another list of my pro um, all my projects that are done. And then completely and it links to them so it creates a table or it creates a list depending on how you configure it that gives you that list and it's a live list so then you and the top project says mac power users episode about obsidian and then you click on it and it jumps you to that note where you've got all the details of it and then when we finish recording you go up and in the property and change from active to done and then if you go back to that data view page it's no longer on the active list. It's on the done list. You know, it, it's everything is done. It's, it's essentially building a whole data management system into the application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is like a basic <laughs> explanation. It does so much more, you know? Yeah. I'll have the, the data view webpage in the show notes. People to go uh, dig into. And of course uh, the, the chapter in the field guide about this is, is really good. But what I love about this is it's in the spirit of this is still all just plain text. So you can have yes. you can have front matters, you can have, you know, metadata at the top of your document or scattered throughout your document that they can find. And then you can go build these views. I mean, you can build whole really like whole databases worth of stuff on top of Markdown. It's incredible. And your files are still just Markdown. Yep. I mean, it's just, you know, are you getting it? I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. I'm, you know, I don't know. I get excited when I talk about Obsidian. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's really cool. Data view, I think, is, is definitely one of those that takes Obsidian from a note-taking app to a really useful tool that you you could build whole workflows into. And I think everyone I know who is into Obsidian, I think they all are using data view to some extent. Yeah, there's so much you can do with it. And the task plugin I talked about has a similar system where you can say, give me a list of all the tasks that are tagged as a podcast that are not, that are active, you know, and do in the next 
week, you know, and it's like, boom, I just pulled it out of all the markdown, out of the 7,000 markdown files you've got, everything that meets those conditions is on this list. And if you click on it, it takes you right to the project page. So it's, it's just, um, it's crazy. I was talking to Mike Schmitz about this. Cause like, how do you talk to people about obsidian, right? You, mm-hmm. Do you say, well, it's a, it's a markdown editor. That's got extra features. It's like, at what point do you just release the hounds and tell people this is amazing. And it does all this stuff because you sound like a crazy person. If you go straight to that part and, uh, it's not easy, but anyway, uh, uh, another, some more plugins. Uh, another one of my big favorites is Kanban. I, I love Kanban views. That's the idea where it makes columns. In fact, uh, reminders in the new software that we're going to get in the next few months, they've added that to reminders, mm-hmm. but it, Kanban allows you to organize those projects and pages based on a status or, and you can move it around. It's totally, uh, manipulable. So you can take your mouse and drag it from one to the next. I think that's very cool. Calendar uh, puts a calendar on the sidebar. Uh, So there's different user interface elements to Obsidian, and a lot of the plugins allow you to add things to those. So if you want to have a calendar on the side, you can. If you use markdown headings and you just want to get a table of contents for anything you're working on, you can do that. They've got a ton of different things. Like There's a mind map plugin that will take a markdown list and just turn it into a mind map and automatically give a graphical representation of it. If you're a visual thinker and that helps you, you, you install that plugin and there's no further work required. Mm-hmm. I know the the calendar plugin in particular relates to the idea of a, of a daily note. Can you talk a little bit about that functionality? Yeah, that's a feature they built in. I think Rome had this before Obsidian, but very quickly Obsidian adopted it. Yeah, and Craft has it too, I believe. Yeah, Craft is now at it as well. A lot of these apps do that where you have the ability to create a daily note. And the idea is you log your day there. Like if you do interstitial journaling, that would work. And you can create links to whatever you're working on. So getting back to the idea of having a project list and a daily note, you could say, well, today in the morning I worked on this project. And you put that in double brackets and you've got a link right back to it. And I worked on it with Stephen Hackett and I put Stephen Hackett in double brackets. So now if I go to the project page, it'll show me all the days I worked on it because there's a link to it. And it says, oh, you, you, you worked on this on August 29th. And then it can link back to that daily note and you can see it. So it's a way to kind of document what you're working on, especially good, I think, in relation to work projects and client work. And then also, because I linked Stephen Hackett, I can go to the Stephen Hackett page and see all the days that I interacted with Stephen. I mean, it, it's very addictive when you start building these links to say, oh, I, I want to know all the information. I want to know how all this stuff ties together. And I feel like that's another slippery slope. You have to be careful with it. I think if you go crazy with links with Obsidian, it becomes too messy. But if you need to know every day you talk to Stephen Hackett, why not? Yeah, I think the daily note is is one of those areas that you could use it just as a straight journal. But say that you're using this for all of your, you know, work research and contact management, right? The stuff that you just described fits that really well. Like I could have a running log of any time I talk to this client, it's all here. And I know we talked about forever ago about how people would do that in the contacts field, like in address book, uh, including me. Um, if that's something that's really important to, to you and the way that you work, 
you might look at the daily note and, and see that sort of capability in it. It's yeah, another example of something that is a lot more flexible than some other systems. And for some people in Obsidian, the daily note is everything. Mm-hmm. Like you can set up a template in it. So every day it opens up and it gives you prompts. What are you grateful for today? Here is the hours listed from eight to five. And you can write underneath each one what you did and like whatever you want to do. Here's, you know, have a data view um, a code, a snippet code here. It says, uh, put a list of all my active projects at the bottom of the daily note. And it, it updates automatically as you work on the projects. And so some people have taken this really far and the daily note is their driver. That's they run their entire life out of an obsidian window with the daily note. Other people don't use it at all. Mm-hmm. And that's the challenge of this field guide is like, I can't, you know, I can't make any assumptions. Everybody's going to look at this differently, but yeah, you're right. The daily note note is killer. Yeah. Another really nice uh, plugin is the outliner. Like if you like really advanced outlining, it's got a tool in there to do that. I mean, there, there's so much you can do with this thing. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is just like looking at the really kind of obscure plugins, like people like have, like they want to change one hotkey or something, you know, and they write a plugin to do that. And you know what? You can do that that way. Yeah. That, but that, that's actually, I, I should have mentioned it earlier. Another real great feature of Obsidian is literally everything can have a custom hotkey. Every plugin you add, every feature, you can map your own hotkey. Like one of my favorite is I like to, because of uh, contextual computing, I like to link to pages inside Obsidian outside of Obsidian. Like I might have an OmniFocus project that relates to the main project page in Obsidian. Well, I made a hotkey that just saves the Obsidian link to uh, the clipboard. And then I can paste it over in a calendar entry or OmniFocus or anywhere. And then I can always jump back and forth. Mm -hmm. But then I can do the same thing in Obsidian. I can get the link to the OmniFocus project. And then I can jump to that from the Obsidian note because I can use that linking back and forth. Another great way to customize this beyond plugins is the use of theming, right? It has its own look and feel. And like we talked about earlier, Obsidian definitely has its own look and feel across every platform. Uh, But you, you can go in and there are a bunch of great themes out there uh, in the community. You can browse those, you can customize them. Some of them have their own plugins for customization. Others kind of require you to do some like CSS work to, to get them the way you want them to. But if people look at your screenshot that we put in the show notes, like if this didn't say Sparky OS at the top, like I would know it's yours because the typeface, the colors, like it just is, is very Mac Sparky to me. Well, that, that is somebody else's theme. It's called typo magical. And I love it. Nice. It's just, it looks perfect. And, uh, uh, I don't even know. I'd like to give the person credit, but I can't look it up right now, but there are just a lot of themes, 123 available as we look here. So people in the community, spend a bunch of time coming up with their own themes. Like I always laugh. There's one here called things mm-hmm. and they, they just basically ripped off the look of the things app. And they said, <laughs> what if obsidian had the things design? You've got that. Yeah. What, whatever it is that you want, there's like eighties neon, there's a Christmas theme. Some of them are pretty bad, yeah. honestly, but the, yeah. uh, but, but there are some gems in, in there too. Like typo magical is one of them. In my opinion, I also really like the minimal theme, uh, but the, uh, there's a lot. Yeah, minimal I think is is very popular amongst Apple like Mac users uh because you can really kind of uh you can make it look a bit more at home on on macOS at least. 
but the thing is, as I understand it, this is a little inside baseball. I believe they hired the guy who made the minimal theme, and now he's working on the the default theme. So you're going to see the actual default Obsidian theme is actually quite attractive, and it wasn't always when yep. the app first launched. It was it's pretty bad. They, they you know, slapped it together. But the guy who made the minimal theme, I think, is now on the team. I, I may be wrong about that, but that's my understanding of what happened. But the, uh, uh, but there, there's a lot of themes. So, like, if if you decide that you know I'm tired of looking at it this way, I want to look at it that way. There aren't many apps that allow you to change the entire look of the app as mm-hmm. easily as this one does. And you can roll your own if you want. You know, you can buy it or not buy, but you can download an existing one and just start making changes to it. Right. So say that you, you get into this and you're using a lot of plugins and themes on your Mac. Do, do those customizations follow you to the iPhone and iPad? Yeah, there's a setting to sync it over. It's shocking how much syncs to the iPad from the Mac. I'm not used to seeing interface elements sync between iPhone and Mac apps, right? That's not that's not normally a thing. But because that that's a benefit of Electron. I think they're able to just like, basically pull it over i there's nothing i can't do on the ipad version that i can do on the mac i mean they just they work and if you set up an ipad with a keyboard it's like using a mac i i I guess i wasn't really fair to the mobile versions earlier because i think the ipad is pretty great where i think it falls down is the iphone Mm -hmm. because it's that small screen and this app is not made for a small screen so it's just kind of weird yeah. You can you can get to information, but I don't think you can really work with your information as well on a small screen iPhone. This episode of MPU is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Junk files, hung processes, and malicious apps can slow down even the latest, most popular machines. Maintaining your Mac, whether old or new, is essential for a smooth Mac OS performance. Clean My Mac X is the all-in-one Mac maintenance tool that takes care of old junk, faulty apps, and malware in an efficient, aesthetically pleasing, and hassle-free way. Using the app's menu, you can monitor your Mac's health, CPU load, and more. With nearly 30 million downloads and 15 years of expertise, this app is a must-try for any Mac user. Run Clean My Mac X to gear up your Mac for the groundbreaking additions coming later this fall with macOS Sonoma. As Apple continues to pack Macs with innovative features, Clean My Mac X ensures your hardware remains healthy, and running at peak performance, so you can enjoy macOS. Clean My Mac X is the tool I turn to. Anytime I've got uh, maintenance to run on my machine or I'm helping somebody else out with their machine, and I love it because it's really easy to understand what it's doing. It's The design is clear and simple and beautiful. All MPU listeners will get 5% off. Check out the link in the show notes or go to macpaw.app slash MPU. That's M-A-C-P-A-W, macpaw.app slash MPU, or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the show and Relay FM. Another piece of Obsidian that I, I covered in the field guide and I really like talking to people about is the automation story. I feel like the developers have done a really good job of building automation into the app, but they've also left an easy avenue for third-party automation. So let me just kind of take that in pieces. In the app, they have a template system, and it's super easy to set up, and it allows you to use cards for like date and title, things like that. And like earlier, I was talking about the daily note. Like if you get into the daily note, 
you could set up a template for it. And the template could have today's date. It could, like I said, have your gratitude journal, maybe mm-hmm. have have a section there where you listed the things you were working on and you could use the the tasks plugin to have it uh, dynamically generate that for you each day. If you wanted to log your day, like when I was running the daily note as a logging device, I had it put each hour of the day on the screen at the beginning of the day. So I would just have a place where I could go in and put some bullets underneath it for what I was doing. Um, if you have active projects, you could use data view to put that in there. You can, you can basically pull all the threads together and have it make a beautiful daily note for you every day. And then it just opens up with a template. So the automation is you build it once you never have to build it again. Each day you open up, it's fresh. You start filling it out again. I, I think that's really powerful, but the templating system goes beyond that. Like, for example, when I was talking about using it as a CRM system, client relationship manager, I think that's what that means. Um, I built a template for people. In fact, I shared this one in the field guide. And I've got a whole list of different things I do in this in this system. Let me go look it up real quick. So I have it put pronunciation, email, company, location, industry and skills, interests, how we met, notes, check-ins, referrals. All that stuff just gets added automatically every time I make a new note on a person. Like if I had one for you, Stephen, I would have all this stuff underneath it. And if I decide I want to add something to it, pet name, I can just go into the template and add it and then it shows up forever. Mm -hmm. So like that's the first level automation in this app is you do it right in the application. And that doesn't even take into account countless community plugins that have some degree of automation to them. So you can do a lot of automation in the app, but then because they're text files, you know, how many things can you automate text with? Well, the answer is pretty much everything. Yep. Like if you do text expansion, text expander just lets you drop text in. No problem. Now the built-in text replacement tool doesn't work because it's electron. So that's where you kind of see the, the fuzzy edges of electron, but text expander is fine. I've got a bunch of templates that I built for Obsidian just using Text Expander. I type a few keystrokes and it gives me the whole thing. And uh, when I want to drop them into the middle of uh, an existing note, that's what I do. I don't use the template system for dropping stuff in the middle, but if I have a brand new note, I'll use their template system. But so that's the first way I can automate. The the next thing I can do is any file because the files are full uh, folder full of Markdown files. Anything that can write to a text file can automate it. So shortcuts can write to text files. Keyboard Maestro can write to text files. Um, you know, Hazel can write to text files and it can move text files. So you could like have Hazel check. If you want to go crazy, you can have Hazel check for um, property tags. And when they change, have Hazel move it to a different folder in your vault or move it out of the vault entirely. If you want it to automatically disappear. Um, all of the automation stuff we've talked about over the years on Mac power users works on this stuff um, because like so many apps would have like Evernote would be an example. Evernote sucks in your data and then you've got to like, how do you get into Evernote to make a change to right. some internal data? Evernote, you, you can't, I mean, and if you did, you probably break the fidelity of the database mm-hmm. and nothing works anymore. Yeah. 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 Cause, cause, cause to be clear, we're talking about automating the text files really behind Obsidian's back almost. Right? Exactly. At this point, yeah. you're doing it. It's just a markdown file in Finder, and then Obsidian picks up the change. 
Yeah. I mean, if I make a new project for a new Mac Power Users episode, it writes a markdown file into my vault that has the name of the episode and the guest and the, the advertisers, all the stuff I need to track that project. It just creates a markdown file and drops it, bloop, you know, right into the vault. And then I look over at Obsidian and it's sitting in my vault. Mm-hmm. Obsidian doesn't have any clue how it got there. Yeah. It's, but it's, oh, it's there hello. and now it sees it. <laughs> yeah. You know? And if I want to go in and change something in those or a property, I can do that. I mean, you can automate this thing with whichever automation tool you're most comfortable with. And I, I love that. But you can also do file management on your vault with something like Alfred, Alfred or, or Hazel, where you can just have it like maybe you want to systematically remove stuff from the vault that doesn't belong there anymore. Like mm-hmm. uh, Obsidian doesn't have to have any say on that stuff. It's just going to address what it sees whether things appear or disappear. And that sounds a little terrifying, but when you get deeper with it, if you understand automation, it's actually quite powerful. Yeah, it means that you don't have to, you know, say that you have a an email or some other document, right? You could open that document and open Obsidian and copy and paste it in, or you could take that text, save it as a text file and drop it in your vault folder and it, it shows up where it's supposed to. Obsidian basically is always pulling those folders for changes. And you're right. It is kind of a weird way of thinking about things because we're used to a lot of apps on the Mac. um, And of course, basically everything on the iPhone and iPad, the app kind of manages its data, right? You mentioned Evernote, but think about photos or mail or, you know, MimeStream or OmniFocus, right? We're not going into those folders and directories and like adding a JPEG and then it shows up in photos, right? We're used to the application being the control layer. And with Obsidian, that's not always the case or it doesn't always have to be the case. And I think that's really cool because yeah, it's Electron and it's weird, but because of the way it's architected, it means that you, you really get more automation options with this than basically any other app like it on the Mac that I can think of because it's not storing these things in a weirdo database format. It's just text files on disk. And that means you can use all of the favorite tools we talk about. And if you're a Mac power user using those automation tools and you're looking at an app like this, I think that carries pretty significant weight when you're comparing this to something else. Yeah. And if you want to go crazy, you could write your own plugin or hire somebody. Yeah. To. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. really a sky's the limit. I know the, the boys at Mac stories did that uh, a couple of years ago. They, they hired somebody to write some custom plugins just for them, you know, for things that, that they were doing to bring in elements of their publishing system. And, you know, some of the stuff they, they use in WordPress, bring that into Obsidian. Super clever. Like, yeah, it's, it's, and it's all web technology. So it's not like you've got to find somebody who knows some obscure programming language, right? Like they, they're yeah. using common tools. There's a lot of JavaScript and things like that to make these things work. Like I said, man, when you release the hounds, it, you, you can go really crazy getting excited talking about obsidian, but it is, it's a special app. And I love that it exists because it's like something I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And for me, it turned into a power tool for Sparky OS for people listening to the show that already have obsidian, it's probably something else entirely. And and that's why this one was so hard. I mean, I, I had a moment of um, the most stressful I've ever been about hitting the publish button was last week when I published this, it, 
it went out, like I said, to the lab sheep a little early. And I was thinking, did I do this okay or did I blow it, right? Um, I don't usually doubt myself, but I spent so much time on this one. And I'm really trying to make a course where people can pick it up and like get an appreciation for everything it can do before they decide what they want to do. Hmm. But it was really hard. But the the initial feedback I've got from the initial customers has been really positive. And, and I feel like it worked, you know, but sometimes when you're so close to something, it's hard to know. You probably have the same feeling when you ship your calendars, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, people are, they're liking it and it is the mission here is that if you get this field guide, by the time you finish it, you can make your obsidian. I'm not trying to tell you that you have to make your own spark EOS. I'm just trying to get you to a place where you can figure out, what you're going to do with this race car. Right. And, um, and I feel like it did it now. I, I feel pretty good. I think you should. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, gang, go check it out again. Obsidian MPU is going to get you 10% off. And, uh, we've got links to the, uh, to both versions in the show notes. And I, I'd really recommend checking out the, the plus version. I know, uh, past field guides where you've had the, the webinar with, you know, interviews, people using these tools. I think those have been really really useful and powerful. So I, I, I push people towards the plus one. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of people that do stuff I do, do what they call, um, you know, they have these courses where it's a lot of interactive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my version of that. You So you get the base materials, but you also get that interactive stuff. Like we're going to also do a question and answer session and I'm going to do some additional feature sessions. So uh, you know me, I want to make sure you get your money's worth. If you get the plus version, you will. Um, so uh check it out and uh i'm really proud of it and took a long time to get here but obsidian field guide lives amen amen all right well i think our sponsors today that's our friends at one password squarespace indeed and clean my mac x we are the mac power users you can find us at relay.fm slash mpu uh check out the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com and we will see you next time